won't fear the battle, we won't fear the night. We will walk the valley with you by our side. You will go before us, you will lead the way. We have found a refuge, only you can save. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love is greater. Who can stand against us if our God is for us? Even when I stumble, even when I fall, even when I turn back, still your love is sure. You will not abandon, you will not forsake, you will cheer me on, but with never-ending grace. Sing with joy now, our God is for us. The Father's love is a strong and mighty fortress. Raise your voice now, no love stand against us if our God is for us. Neither height nor depth can separate us. Hell and death will not defeat us. He who gave His Son to
voice to sing that verse. When seated as you take your attention to this morning. Kathy and I had an opportunity to visit with uh, 10 different houses this evening out of the 20, so we thought that was great that we had 50%, and we had a couple of really interesting experiences. We had one experience with a family that did not speak English but they actually used the app on their phone to translate to Spanish. And so we were able to share with them about our church and they were able to share with us about their family uh, and, and a wonderful young family that uh, hopefully maybe we can connect someone uh, who actually is a natural Spanish speaker with them. And then we had another uh, gentleman that we visited with and initially he was pretty cautious. Uh, the door wasn't open very much, uh, but then as we visited, he shared with us about some prayer requests that he had, both for himself and prayer requests for other members of his family. And we had an opportunity right there on his front porch. He came out and we prayed together, and uh, and he actually uh, were able to give him a copy of the New Testament. So two exciting visits. We had a great time at our first Make a Difference Sunday. In this coming Sunday, a week from today, will be our second uh, Make a Difference uh, Sunday, and it's going to be uh, a great time. If you didn't have a chance to sign up in Sunday school this morning, uh, you can sign up out in the foyer uh, as you uh, leave uh, this morning out in the atrium. You can uh, There are sign-up sheets that you can sign up for. Uh, we'll get together at uh, 5 o'clock. It looks like the, the weather will be uh, quite a bit cooler uh, and not as humid as it was uh, last time. And so the weather should be, uh, should be great, and, uh, but we'll have a fellowship dinner uh, afterwards. So I hope that you'll plan to be a part of uh, uh, Make a Difference Sunday uh, next Sunday at, uh, at 5 o'clock. Also coming up in the life of the church, uh, two weeks from today, we have our fall festival, and uh, it's going to be a great time. It's always a fun time as we host uh, the community to come here uh, on our campus. This year, we're adding a trunk or treat, and you might be wondering, well, what's all that about? You can pull your truck or your car up, and you can decorate the bed of your truck, or you can decorate your trunk, and uh, you'll be handing out candy uh, from, uh, from the back of your vehicle, uh, just a new aspect that we're adding this year. And so uh, if you've always wanted to decorate your car or your pickup truck, now's your uh, chance to do that and uh, to be a part of our fall festival uh, two weeks uh, from uh, today. And then also, don't forget, you can still pick up shoe boxes for uh, Samaritan's Purse. There uh, are shoe boxes out in the foyer. You can grab a shoe box uh, to pack and to turn back in. Uh, but also remember there's the online uh, option uh, for this year, and you can go to SamaritansPurse.org, uh, and you can fill a shoe box uh, digitally uh, online, which seems to be the, the trend these days. But if you want to do it the old-fashioned way, Make sure you grab a box out in the foyer and uh, you can turn that uh, back into us and we'll get it sent uh, to the right people. So glad that you're here this morning. Hope that you've come uh, ready to worship, expecting God to be here with us and anticipating him uh, to do something great in this place this morning. Oh, one other thing before you get started, Warren. I'm, we're going we're gonna to do the prayer sheets or the street prayers uh, again, and I'm going to start these through the sanctuary. I'm not going to even ask you. You don't even have to stop and pick them up and take that tiring time to stop and pick up one of these cards. We're going to pass them through the sanctuary, and so each family can take one of these streets and pray for this street this next week. 
you can drive down that street and pray for it or you can just pray for it at home but be in prayer for these streets that we'll be visiting uh, a week uh, from today and so we'll be passing these through the sanctuary so each family take one card or two cards if you feel industrious uh, to pray for these homes that we'll be visiting next week
mercy and your blood that has covered all of our sins, has washed us white as snow. Thank you for what you have done for us. As we hear your word preached and proclaimed today, dear Heavenly Father, may our eyes be focused on you and may we open our hearts to the truth that you have for us. And may we receive it and respond in obedience to what you're calling us to do. May Jesus be magnified here in each and individual life that's in this place this morning. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And the people of God said together, amen. You may be seated. Well, which side of the Red River would you rather live on today? For those of you who don't keep up with football, this is a good day for the University of Texas. It's been a long time since they've had something to celebrate. But they had a pretty convincing victory, and I wonder what the celebration is like in Austin. Probably a lot of joy and excitement, and I would pray that uh, as we worship, as we continue to worship, that we would have that same kind of enthusiasm. Tomorrow, if you're reading through the Bible, you get to Hebrews chapter 12. And in there it describes heaven, and I don't know that I ever quite saw it exactly the way I did this last week. But in Hebrews 12, it describes heaven as a place in where thousands upon thousands of angels are gathered together in joyful assembly. Heaven is quite a place. And oftentimes, as we have said, we kind of make it a, a consolation prize, holding on to everything we can get here in life, and we fail to realize how great it is going to be and what God wants to give us even now. Well, you know, um, every sermon has a beginning, and some are memorable and most are not. So I thought I'd mix it up a little bit today, and we will have a little uh, quiz. And I've uh, got a little prize, and I got four, four of these 20s, so we'll divide it up into four sections, okay? So, if you want to uh, answer a question, you just stand here in a second, okay? Which, which section would be the, the, the most intelligent? Okay, I think, this, I think, I think you guys went first. I think, I, I think your hands are up first. Okay, so first person up that can answer the question, was James related to Jesus, and if so, how? You have to stand. All right, Cindy, I think you were first. The, the other Cindy, not the Cindy in front. Did you all know that you both are Cindy? You spell your names differently. Yep. Okay. His brother. Older brother or younger brother? We have a critical issue at stake. If James is the older brother of Jesus, then there we go. All right. You can come up in a second and get your, your prize. Okay. Second smartest section would be... Oh, this one here. Great. Okay. Uh, true or false? James was one of the last New Testament books written. You have to stand up to answer. Okay. All right. First. Good. All right. Hang on a second. We'll have all of you come up here. All right. Uh, number three, uh, the, the third smartest section. Okay. This one over here. Got it. All right. You got <laughs> Love you guys. Who were the primary recipients of James' letter? If stand up, answer the question. Who were the primary? Okay. Ian, all right. Christians, very good. They were Christians, and they were, they were Christians that had been dispersed through persecution, as we read in the book of Acts. They left Jerusalem, and they had gone in all different directions, and James had been the pastor of them, and he wanted to continue to have influence in their lives, so he wrote the letter, and so here we have this first letter going out that becomes a model for Paul to, to use to communicate to Christians as well. Now, the fourth most intelligent section in the sanctuary. Raise your hand if you think you are. <laughs> All right, name one issue James has addressed in the first two chapters. Just name one issue that James has addressed in the first two chapters. You can stand. And we're, we're, we're still in chapter two. But if you want to talk about trials or temptations or the truth of God's word. Uh, yeah, Wesley. Trials and temptations. Very good. And I, and I will 
Just parenthetically, Wesley and Isaac have a, 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 a company called the Dirt Brothers, and they do incredibly good work. They were over at our house this last, last week trimming trees. And so all of you had the right answer come up and collect your 20 wherever you are. Congratulations to you. There you go. Ian, there you go, buddy. Cindy, Wesley. Now, some of you are envious. Some of you are thinking that was very uh, sacrilegious. And what you will find that each one of those people walked away with a counterfeit 20. <laughs> it's the same money that they use on television. Uh, which looks real, it doesn't feel real, but uh, it says copy money on it. And so uh, for those of you four that got those, please do not put those out in circulation. <laughs> and, uh, and we all know where they came from, so please don't, uh, yes. Uh, but you know, that, that helps us to see the, the core message of James is authenticity. James is saying, don't be a counterfeit Christian. If you try to summarize what this book is about, that's it. So here are these Christians that are facing a lot of hardship. Most of them are depressed financially and otherwise, living in other places beyond where they were raised. And he was saying, do not jeopardize, do not counterfeit your faith. This morning as we turn to James chapter 2, beginning uh, in verse 14 and following, I want us to see the cliff notes. Now the, the cliff notes are those things that those of us who are older realize uh, a guy named Clifton started Cliff's Notes back in the late 1950s to help out university students, giving you the summary. The, the newer students will remember Spark Notes, but this is the abbreviated summary of what we're going to see today. Faith apart from works is dead. So you look at James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The abbreviated summary of what we'll see this morning is faith apart from works is dead. One of the biggest surprises for me in ministry has been the number of funerals that I have done. Over the last 40 years, I've done hundreds of funerals. And I guess I should have expected it. It's part of the job description for a pastor, but I, I never dreamed that I would be doing those kinds of works, especially due to my upbringing. I did not attend a funeral until I was in junior high. My parents kept me from my uh, grandfather's funeral, who I'm named after, uh, because of their concerns about what that might be like for me. So I grew up with this very significant fear of seeing a dead body. And uh, when I went to my first funeral in junior high, uh, the casket was closed after I had arrived, and I just remember being there, we, we, uh, a group of us as students, it was, a, it was a fellow student of ours, we traveled to the graveside and just as such a memorable, surreal experience. In high school, I remember going and uh, a classmate had died and the casket was open throughout the service and just, just looking and, and just being so disoriented and nervous and, and uncertain. In many ways, I, I felt like a kid that was about to get on the biggest roller coaster of their life. But now, after doing so many funerals and all these decades later, I look at the files in my office, in my file cabinet, and the files for funerals is second only to files for sermons. That many. And during that time, I've come to understand exactly what James is talking about in the verse that we just read. At every funeral, there is an obvious difference between the body in the casket and the bodies in the pew. It's an undeniable difference that the body in the casket is dead and the bodies in the pews are alive. And James says the very same thing is true about our faith. There's an undeniable difference. There is. Not only there should be, but there is an undeniable difference between faith with works and faith without works. One is dead one is not. So let's look at James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26, and I want to give us two words that we've talked about before. They're part of our English language. Uh, they're homophones. That means that they sound alike, but they have completely different meanings, and that's apart 
and apart. James repeatedly uses the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 15, verse 5, when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And James would say, apart from works, faith is dead. So as we take some time to read through this passage of Scripture, I want you to think about those two words that sound alike but have completely different meanings, apart and apart. Jesus spoke of himself as the vine in John chapter 15. And that helps us to understand the difference between those two words and what James is trying to make very clear to all of us today as followers of Christ. When you look at the branches of a tree and you see the limbs that are attached to the trunk, you know that those those limbs are a part of the tree. But when you see a limb that has been cut from the tree, you know that that branch is apart from the tree. The limbs still in the tree, they're a part of the tree. The limbs on the ground, they're apart from the tree. To be a part is to be connected to the tree. To be apart is to be disconnected. One is alive and one is dead. So listen to these words as James tries to help us better understand that. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the, de even the demons believe and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray together. Lord, we have tried to worship you. We've tried to express our gratitude for all that you are and all that you've done for us. To acknowledge all that you are to praise you, to celebrate the relationship that we have with you, to recognize your sovereignty over all things, to acknowledge our total dependence upon you, that life is absolutely impossible without you, as is eternal life. We recognize that your word is eternal. It is more relevant than anything we will ever read. Help us now to better understand what you are communicating to us through this passage of Scripture, in your name we pray. Amen. As you read this, there are several things that need to be clarified, and we'll try to do that along the way. Uh, no guarantees, but we'll try. The first one, the clarifying scope, is that this is a message to Christians about Christians, as Ian was saying earlier. This is a letter that was written to Christians about Christians. So what James is saying and what we have read here applies to Christians as they relate to other Christians. Does that mean it doesn't relate to others? Not at all. But specifically, he's targeting Christians as he shares this message. What good is it? My brothers. Writing to Christians, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And then he gives us that example, and he's going to ask some rhetorical questions. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, meaning, and we think about this congregation in which many were poor, most of them would have been poor, many of them to the point of being destitute. 
and they didn't have what they needed to stay warm throughout the day or to have their daily food. Not that they would have food in abundance or food to last for many days, but their daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled. Without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? Faith like that is dead. A few nights ago, I was walking out of Kroger with groceries, to, with groceries in, in a bag, and as I probably was about 30 to 40 steps outside of the front door, I heard this, sir. Well, initially, I thought they're talking to somebody way back there because I'm all the way into the parking lot. Sir. Sir. And then I realized what was going on. Someone was standing at the front door of Kroger, and they were asking everybody that walked out if they would provide them with some money. I kept walking and went to my car. Was I wrong? In about two months, we'll start getting an increased volume of calls here at the church in which people will be calling during the Christmas season, asking and expecting money from the church. They'll be strangers, not related to the church. Many do not have any clue where the church is, but they will be expecting us to help them out. And most of them, we will not help. Are we wrong? They'll tell us we're wrong, and they'll tell us that's what the church is supposed to do. But James is writing to brothers and sisters, fellow believers in Christ, about the response to one another. Now, I really need your attention, and I bet I just got it, because it might sound like we're supposed to be callous to the outside world. But I want to say that we have a responsibility to care for fellow believers, but we do not have an obligation to meet every need outside of the church. But that doesn't mean that Christians shouldn't be the most compassionate, generous people anywhere. To the contrary, we should be more generous and more compassionate than people who are not followers of Christ. Michelle and I try to practice this principle beyond the church. Of what we give to the church beyond that, we support the local food bank here in our region of Southeast Texas. We also give to the Hope Center, which ministers to people that are oftentimes without resources to meet their needs. We also give to the International Justice Mission, which is a ministry that helps in people that are trafficked and are enslaved uh, throughout the world. We support three children through Compassion International. Abigail, Juancito and Michelle in Africa, San Salvador, and Bolivia. We give to Samaritan's Purse. And by the way, uh, I did the online Operation Christmas Child uh, this week. And, and I know that we need to do both, digital and the, the actual boxes. But I was able to turnkey the job in two minutes. So if any of you are wondering, I mean, you don't have to fill the box. You can click, let them do it. Did it in two minutes. I say all that to say that we shouldn't be neglectful of other people, but we need to understand that James is writing specifically to Christians. We go back to the, the first chapter, and we will recall the, the situation. Actually, last week, we call the situation of the rich man and the poor man in the congregation, and how one was neglected and the other was given preferential treatment. What James is saying is we have an obligation, a responsibility to care for one another in the fellowship of the church and not just to say, well, I'll pray for you. If we know of a need, we see of a need, we need to seek to address it. We may not be able to address it all by ourselves. It may be that we need to inform someone else. We need to be a part of the solution. You know, sometimes we just need to be reminded that we are to be very aware of the needs of the people around us specifically in the church. Yes, we minister to those outside, but don't neglect those inside the church. That means praying for one another, helping one another. I think during the times of the hurricane, we've seen that. We've tried to, we've tried to minister to every family that has been impacted. Doesn't mean that we did it extremely well, but we certainly tried. But it goes beyond hurricanes. Every week there's a crisis in somebody's life. How can we be ministering to one another? Don't turn a callous eye to the outside world but make sure that we meet the needs of those inside the church. That makes sense? All right, 
Second thing is, this is essential theology, to recognize that external evidence reveals internal reality. What's on the outside reveals what's on the inside. In James chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, as well as Matthew 7, 16 through 20. And again, these would have been verses that James had heard his older brother Jesus present to the crowds. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn, thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's what James is saying. If someone says, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, for even the demons believe and shudder. This is essential theology, that what is on the outside, what, what happens on the outside of us should reveal what is on the inside. The demons believe and they shudder, but does that have any value to them? No. It doesn't make a difference in their lives or the lives of others. We should believe even more so than the demons. The faith that we say we have on the inside should be incredibly evident, as obvious as it is at a funeral between the deceased in the casket and those that are gathered to pay their respects. Faith without action makes us no different than demons. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, Paul would say, knowledge puffs up. Sometimes, in the realm of the spiritual, we can get very fixated on knowledge. Knowledge is important. Doctrine is important. That's why we study God's Word regularly. But it goes beyond that. It is putting the knowledge into action. It's both. We're talking about faith and works. Explain oftentimes like this. If you're flying somewhere, you're going to get on an airplane... Which wing is more important, the right wing or the left wing? Well, it depends on which side of the airplane you're sitting on, right? No. They're equally important, one without the other, and it doesn't fly. And what James is saying here, James is not in contradiction uh, with Paul at all. You remember, they were friends. Remember, they were impact. James was very influential in Paul's moving into ministry and what God had called him to do. So it's very important for us to realize there's not a conflict. It's just that James is saying, don't live a counterfeit faith. I grew up in Arizona, and I've told you before, we had three channels on our television, and I'm not kidding you. There are three channels, and that's if you had cable. That's if you had cable. And one of the shows that we were able to watch was called The High Chaparral. Now, we're digging way deep into the archives here. Anybody remember a show called The High Chaparral? Okay, a few people do. Do you know where it was filmed? It's filmed in old Tucson. And I remember as a kid, uh, my parents were taking us as a family up there to watch the filming of the High Chaparral at old Tucson. And I thought, man, this is going to be the greatest day of my life. This is so cool to see what they do on television. We're going to see it there. It's going to be so fun, so filled with action. And, and so we got there. It is the most boring experience of all. I mean, I, I would hate to be in the filmmaking industry. It is so boring. I mean, they would set up for about 10 minutes, and then they would, they would do a scene that would last about 10 seconds, and then they'd reset up again. It, 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 and then the most disappointing part of all is that you would get to see the sets. And this is what you see on television. And you would walk into the set, and you would realize it's just a facade. There's nothing inside. It's just a, a structure that looks like what you see. And James is saying, don't be a facade. What is on the outside reveals what's on the inside. And sometimes what's revealed on the outside is the revelation that there's nothing on the inside, that that faith indeed is dead. So he gives us two biblical examples that remind us of what it's like to have faith that is very much alive. Two, excuse me, two biblical examples. That's in James chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. And again, as we, as we go through this, some of you are, are great Bible scholars. And you may even feel the tension. Martin Luther hated James. He called it just a rather strawy book. And in, in his mind, it shouldn't have been in the Scriptures. 
because he felt like that they he, James is contradicting what Paul had to say, but there's not a contradiction, and we'll see that in just a moment. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart, there's that word again, apart, separated from works is useless like a tree. Often, if you need to see what that looks like, let me show you. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, there we start getting a little bit uncomfortable. Well, Paul said that we're justified by faith through grace, not by works. Is there a contradiction? And they're using the same word justified there. One is to declare, and it could be the, the, the context. Paul uses it in the context to say, you are declared as justified. James is using the same word in a different context to say that you demonstrate, same word. And so they're saying the same thing. They're in harmony with each other. Paul is saying, you are declared righteous. You are justified by your faith in Christ alone. And James says, you demonstrate that faith that Paul would talk about by your evidence of your work. One is talking about the root, the other is talking about the fruit. You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. They're talking about really two different experiences there. We look back at the life of Abraham. You go to Genesis chapter 15, and then that's when he believed God, that God would give him the promise of a son. And then it will be 30 years later in which, which James is talking about that experience at which Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him 30 years later, three decades later, in which he demonstrated his faith that he had 30 years previously. He was justified when he believed God, and then he demonstrated that justification when he took Isaac to the altar and he was willing to sacrifice him. As you go back and read that, one thing that's so amazing about the passage of Scripture, talking about the sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22, is that he tells the people that he's going with, that he's going up there, and he knows what he's going to do, that he's going to sacrifice his son. That's what God has called him to do. And he says, and then we will return. We. Because he believed that even though God was calling him to do something that he didn't understand, that they would both come back, that God was able to resurrect Isaac from the dead if that was what was needed. And so what he's saying there is Abraham demonstrated his faith by his works. And then we're going to talk about the second one, and we're going to, we're going to deal more with Rahab in our Christmas series, uh, Ancestry What? In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them away out another way? We'll talk more about that in a couple of months. But James gives us two ends of the continuum, the patriarch of the faith. In fact, there are three worldwide faiths that trace their lineage to Abraham. The Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews. Abraham is the patriarch and Rahab is a prostitute. And what James is saying, it matters not who you are. You will demonstrate your faith by your works. And when it says uh, up there in verse 22 that faith was active, it's written in the original language in the imperfect to mean it's not one and done. It is continuous action so that when we have this one and done experience of being justified, by the grace of Jesus Christ, we then live out our faith over and over and over and over through our works. What James wants us to see is something that we all deal with on a regular basis. Calories. You, know, you can see the number of calories in a side of a, a bottle or how much is in a meal, but you know, faith is a little bit like calories. You can't see them, but you can see the results of them. Now, if we could see calories, that would slim all of us down, wouldn't it? I mean, if we could see them, like, oh, I'm going to move. But we can't see the calories, but we see the results of the calories. And it's the same with our faith. We can't see the faith, but James is saying we should be able to see the results of that faith in our lives. So we get to the bottom line. In James chapter 2, verse 26, which we read at the beginning, the summary, no fruit means no faith. For as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
And again, he refers back to what he heard Jesus speak about in Matthew chapter 25. I mean, he wasn't a Christian when he heard Jesus say that. But he was probably there. He was probably standing on the edge of the crowd trying to figure out what in the world is my brother trying to do. And he heard Jesus say these words. Then he will say to those on the left, talking about the judgment in which people are, are, are separated based upon their faith that was alive or their faith that was not alive. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. See, if there's no fruit in our lives, and this is not a message that's trying to to stir up doubt about salvation. Because remember, James is writing to Christians, but he's also reminding them if there is no fruit in your life, you need to evaluate if you really are a follower of Jesus Christ. We can be like that facade. 1977, when I arrived at the the campus of Grand Canyon University in Phoenix and looked around and there were all of these ornamental oranges and I thought, man, this is great. I'm a poor college student. I mean, I just go out there, pick an orange whenever I want and eat it. And I did that one time, one bite. And then someone explained to me, those are ornamental oranges. They'll make you sick. And it conveys this message that, man, have all the fruit that you want. But it's not really that. And James is saying, don't be an ornamental orange tree. See, oak trees don't drop apples. They drop acorns. And what Jesus is saying is the evidence of your life will reveal what is inside your heart. Faith leaves works in its wake. And so we ask the question. James is pushing all of us to ask the question. It doesn't mean that you're out there just burning down the world doing all kinds of good deeds. But it begs the question. Are works a part of my faith? Are they a part from my faith? Is it obvious? The way that I live my life, is it as obvious as a funeral, the difference of my life compared to the one in the casket? Is it that different? See, I think we we have come to a time in which we are realizing, as Christians, as every generation does, our faith needs to be incredibly obvious. People shouldn't find out that you're a Christian and say, wow, I would have never guessed that. Really? I mean, if they find out you're a believer, they should say, "I, I thought so. I would have guessed that by what I see in life. And so let's ask the question to ourselves. Are works a part of my faith or a part of my faith? If they're apart from your faith, now would be a wonderful time to reconfirm your faith to Christ or to embrace faith and to recognize that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him. That's why we have the word. That's why we have scripture. That's why we gather together, to recognize this is the greatest need of our lives. Why? Because on our own, we are separated from God forever because of our sins. Our sins make us as dead as a body in the casket. But thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us alive and right with God. And the amazing thing is, Jesus did all of the heavy lifting. He died so that we could be justified in a moment so that we could then demonstrate that justification through our works. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, and turn to Christ. Invite him to be the Lord and Savior of our life and completely surrender our life to Christ. Sometimes if faith is missing 
Sometimes if works is missing in our life, it's because we're not fully surrendered to Christ. We were in the prisons a couple of weeks ago, and uh, they recorded as such, and I like the way that they recorded it, 130 men started a relationship with Christ. That's what this prayer in a moment means, to start a relationship with Christ. And then 348 recommitted, and one of the terms that they use is they repented. They repented and turned back to Christ. So let's just all pray together and respond as God would lead us to. And if you're not yet a Christian, I pray that you would voice a prayer similar to this. If you are a Christian and you're right where you need to be, I pray that you'll pray for someone that is not a Christian, whether in this room or not. And pray that our works would demonstrate to others what it means to have faith in Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. How it speaks to us, resonates deep into our lives. God, as we think of this passage that has so deeply challenged us, we're reminded that just as your word has said, we are either a part of the faith that follows after you or we're apart from it. And anyone that is not yet a follower of Jesus Christ in this room or listening online, I pray that today they would recognize that's the greatest need of their life and they would begin a relationship with you by voicing a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have. And I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, for those of us who are confident that we are a part of Christianity, but feel that maybe our works feel more apart, help us to repent. Help us to turn back to where we need to be. Help us to live lives that are so obvious to those around us that they will be compelled and drawn to the saving grace that you have to offer. Continue to speak to us as we leave this place. Lord, for our worship doesn't leave with us, it has done us no good. We pray that we've honored you by gathering together. And now as we conclude this worship service, help us to respond appropriately. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. And so many ways that you could respond, maybe to become a Christian. Maybe you did become a Christian just a moment ago through that prayer. Maybe you do want someone to pray with you, recommitment. Maybe you want to join the church. Maybe you want to be baptized. Maybe God's calling you into full-time Christian ministry. Each week we invite our deacons. We have triads. We call them deacons of the month. We used to have deacons of the week. But now we have deacons of the month. We're in the month of October. So our deacons of the month of October... If you and your wife would just stand at the end of each one of these aisles, and if you guys would just go ahead and make your way in that direction so people can see who you are, and they'll be there to pray with you. Do we have any deacons from October? Okay, so we need other deacons to fill in these aisles. So you're not from October. If you and your wife would join in these aisles here. And most weeks, nobody goes back there, but I just want you to know that these, these couples are there to pray with you if that would minister to you. Your prayer request right now may have nothing to do with what we talked about today, but know that they're there. I'll be standing at the cross, and as we stand together, let's uh, worship and respond to God appropriately.
Amen. Children, it's time for Children's Choir, so you can head over there. We have that today. And be sure to pick up a Christmas shoebox out in the foyer. God bless you. Have a great week.